Chapter 7 of Stories of Successful Marriages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Stories of Successful Marriages. Edited by Walter Besant. Section 7 The Tree of Knowledge by Henry James. Part One. It was one of the secret opinions, such as we all have, of Peter Brench, that his main success in life would have consisted in his never having committed himself about the work, as it was called, of his friend Morgan Mallow. This was a subject on which it was, to the best of his belief, impossible with veracity to quote him, and it was nowhere on record that he had in the connection, on any occasion and in any embarrassment, either lied or spoken the truth. Such a triumph had its honour even for a man of other triumphs, a man who had reached fifty, who had escaped marriage, who had lived within his means, who had been in love with Mrs. Mallow for years without breathing it, and who, last but not least, had judged himself once for all. He had so judged himself, in fact, that he felt an extreme and general humility to be his proper portion. Yet there was nothing that made him think so well of his parts as the course he had steered so often through the shallows just mentioned. It became thus a real wonder that the friends in whom he had most confidence were just those with whom he had most reserves. He couldn't tell Mrs. Mallow, or at least he supposed, excellent man, he couldn't, that she was the one beautiful reason he had never married, any more than he could tell her husband that the sight of the multiplied marbles in that gentleman's studio was an affliction of which even time had never blunted the edge. His victory, however, as I have intimated, in regard to these productions, was not simply in his not having let it out that he deplored them it was remarkably in his not having kept it in by anything else. The whole situation among these good people was verily a marvel, and there was probably not such another for a long way from the spot that engages us, the point at which the soft declivity of Hampstead began at that time to confess in broken accents to St. John's Wood. He despised Mallow's statues and adored Mallow's wife, and yet was distinctly fond of Mallow, to whom, in turn, he was equally dear. Mrs. Mallow rejoiced in the statues, though she preferred, when pressed, the busts, and if she was visibly attached to Peter Brench, it was because of his affection for Morgan. Each loved the other, moreover, for the love born, in each case, to Lancelot, whom the Mallows respectively cherished as their only child, and whom the friend of their fireside identified as the third but decidedly the handsomest of his godsons. Already in the old years it had come to that, that no one for such a relation could possibly have occurred to any of them, even to the baby itself, but Peter. There was luckily a certain independence of the pecuniary sort all round. The master, could never otherwise have spent his solemn wanderjahre in Florence and Rome, and continued by the Thames as well as by the Arno and the Tiber, to add unpurchased group to group and model, for what was too apt to prove in the event mere love. 
fancy heads of celebrities either too busy or too buried too much of the age or too little of it to sit neither could peter lounging in almost daily have found time to keep the whole complicated tradition so alive by his presence he was massive but mild the depositary of these mysteries large and loose and ruddy and curly with deep tones deep eyes deep pockets to say nothing of the habit of long pipes soft hats and brownish greyish weather-faded clothes apparently always the same he had written it was known but had never spoken never spoken in particular of that and he had the air since as was believed he continued to write of keeping it up in order to have something more as if he hadn't at the worst enough to be silent about whatever his air at any rate peter's occasional unmentioned prose and verse were quite truly the result of an impulse to maintain the purity of his taste by establishing still more firmly the right relation of fame to feebleness the little green door of his domain was in a garden wall on which the discoloured stucco made patches and in the small detached villa behind it everything was old the furniture the servants the books the prints the immemorial habits and the new improvements the mallows at carrara lodge were within ten minutes and the studio there was on their little land to which they had added in their happy faith for building it this was the good fortune if it was not the ill of her having brought him in marriage a portion that put them in a manner at their ease and enable them thus on their side to keep it up and they did keep it up they always had the infatuated sculptor and his wife for whom nature had refined on the impossible by relieving them of the sense of the difficult morgan had at all events everything of the sculptor but the spirit of phidias the brown velvet the becoming beretto the plastic presence the fine fingers the beautiful accent in italian and the old italian factotum he seemed to make up for everything when he addressed egidio with the two and waved him to turn one of the rotary pedestals of which the place was full they were tremendous italians at carrara lodge and the secret of the part played by this fact in peter's life was in a large degree that it gave him sturdy britain as he was just the amount of going abroad he could bear the mallows were all his italy but it was in a measure for Italy he liked them. His one worry was that Lance, to which they had shortened his godson, was in spite of a public school, perhaps a shade too Italian. Morgan, meanwhile, looked like somebody's flattering idea of somebody's own person as expressed in the great room provided at the Uffizi Museum for the general illustration of that idea by eminent hands. The master's sole regret that he hadn't been born rather to the brush than to the chisel, sprang from his wish that he might have contributed to that collection. It appeared with time at any rate to be to the brush that Lance had been born, for Mrs. Mallow one day, when the boy was turning twenty, broke it to their friend, who shared to the last delicate morsel their problems and pains, that it seemed as if nothing would really do but that he should embrace the career it had been impossible longer to remain blind to the fact that he was gaining no glory at cambridge where brench's own college had for a year tempered its tone to him as for brench's own sake therefore why renew the vain form of preparing him for the impossible the impossible it had become clear 
was that he should be anything but an artist. Oh, dear, dear, said poor Peter. Don't you believe in it? asked Mrs. Mallow, who still at more than forty had her violet velvet eyes, her creamy satin skin, and her silken chestnut hair. Believe in what? Why, in Lance's passion. I don't know what you mean by believing in it. I have never been unaware, certainly, of his disposition from his earliest time, to daub and draw, but I confess I've hoped it would burn out. But why should it? she sweetly smiled, with his wonderful heredity. Passion is passion, though, of course, indeed, you, dear Peter, know nothing of that. Has the master ever burned out? Peter looked off a little, and in his familiar, formless way, kept up for a moment a sound between a smothered whistle and a subdued hum. Do you think he's going to be another master? She seemed scarce prepared to go that length, yet she had on the whole a marvellous trust. I know what you mean by that. Will it be a career to incur the jealousies and provoke the machinations that have been at times almost too much for his father? Well, say it may be, since nothing but claptrap in these dreadful days can, it would seem, make its way, and since with the curse of refinement and distinction one may easily find oneself begging one's bread. Put it at the worst, say he has the misfortune to wing his flight further than the vulgar taste of his stupid countrymen can follow. Think all the same of the happiness, the same the master has had. He'll know. Peter looked rueful. Ah, but what will he know? Quiet joy, cried Mrs. Mallow, quite impatient and turning away. Part Two He had, of course, before long, to meet the boy himself on it, and to hear that practically everything was settled, Lance was not to go up again, but to go instead to Paris, where, since the die was cast, he would find the best advantages. Peter had always felt he must be taken as he was, but had never perhaps found him so much of that pattern as on this occasion. "'You chuck Cambridge, then, altogether? Doesn't that sound rather a pity?' Lance would have been like his father, to his friend's sense, had he had less humor, and like his mother, had he had more beauty. Yet it was a good middle way for Peter, that in the modern manner he was, to the eye, rather the young stockbroker than the young artist. The youth reasoned that it was a question of time. There was such a mill to go through, such an awful lot to learn. He had talked with fellows and had judged. One has got today, he said, don't you see, to know. His interlocutor at this gave a groan. Oh, hang it! Don't know. Lance wondered. Don't? Then what's the use? The use of what? Why of anything? Don't you think I've talent? Peter smoked away for a little in silence, then went on. It isn't knowledge, it's ignorance that, as we've been beautifully told, is bliss. Don't you think I've talent? Lance repeated. Peter, with his trick of queer, kind demonstrations, passed his arm round his godson, and held him a moment. "'How do I know?' "'Oh,' said the boy, "'if it's your own ignorance you're defending.' Again for a pause on the sofa, his godfather smoked. "'It isn't. Of the misfortune to be omniscient.' "'Oh, well,' Lance laughed again, "'if you know too much, that's what I do, and it's why I'm so wretched.' Lance's gaiety grew. "'Wretched? Come, I say.' but I forgot, his companion went on. You're not to know about that. It would indeed for you, too, make the too much. Only I'll tell you what I'll do. 
and Peter got up from the sofa. If you'll go up again, I'll pay your way at Cambridge. Lance stared a little rueful in spite of being still more amused. Oh, Peter, you disapprove so of Paris. Well, I'm afraid of it. I see. No, you don't see yet, but you will. That is, you would, and you mustn't. The young man thought more gravely. But one's innocence already is considerably damaged. Ah, that won't matter, Peter persisted. We'll patch it up here. Here? Then you want me to stay at home? Peter almost confessed to it. Well, we're so right, we four together, just as we are. We're so safe. Come, don't spoil it. The boy who had turned to gravity turned from this, on the real pressure of his friend's tone, to consternation. Then what's a fellow to be? My particular care, come old man, and Peter now fairly pleaded, I'll look out for you. Lance, who had remained on the sofa with his legs out and his hands in his pockets, watched him with eyes that showed suspicion. Then he got up. You think there's something the matter with me, that I can't make a success. What do you call a success? Lance thought again. Why, the best sort, I suppose, is to please oneself. Isn't that the sort that, in spite of cabals and things, is, in his own peculiar line, the master's? There were so much, too many things in this question to be answered at once that they practically checked the discussion, which became particularly difficult in the light of such renewed proof that though the young man's innocence might in the course of his studies, as he contended, somewhat have shrunken, the finer essence of it still remained. That was indeed exactly what Peter had assumed, and what above all he desired, yet perversely enough it gave him a chill. The boy believed in the cabals and things, believed in the peculiar line, believed to be brief in the master. What happened a month or two later wasn't that he went up again at the expense of his godfather, but that a fortnight after he had got settled in Paris. This personage sent him fifty pounds. He had, meanwhile at home, this personage made up his mind to the worst, and what that might be had never yet grown quite so vivid to him as when, on his presenting himself one Sunday night, as he never failed to do for supper, the mistress of Carrara Lodge met him with an appeal as to, of all things in the world, the wealth of the Canadians. She was earnest. She was even excited. Are many of them really rich? He had to confess he knew nothing about them, but he often thought afterwards of that evening— the room in which they sat was adorned with sundry specimens of the master's genius, which had the merit of being, as Mrs. Mallow herself frequently suggested, of an unusually convenient size. They were indeed of dimensions not customary in the products of the chisel, and they had the singularity that, if the objects and features intended to be small looked too large, the objects and features intended to be large looked too small. The master's idea, either in respect to this matter or to any other, had, in almost any case, even after years, remained undiscoverable to Peter Branch. The creations that so failed to reveal it stood about on pedestals and brackets, on tables and shelves, a little staring white population, heroic, idyllic, allegoric, mythic, symbolic, in which scale had so strayed and lost itself that the public square and the chimney-piece seemed to have changed places, the monumental being all diminutive, and the diminutive all monumental. 
branches at any rate markedly of a family in which stature was rather oddly irrespective of function age and sex they formed like the mallows themselves poor branches own family having at least to such a degree the note of familiarity the occasion was one of those he had long ago learnt to know and to name short flickers of the faint flame soft gusts of a kinder air twice a year regularly the master believed in his fortune in addition to believing all the year round in his genius this time it was to be made by a bereaved couple from toronto who had given him the handsomest order for a tomb to three lost children each of whom they desired to see in the composition emblematically and characteristically represented such was naturally the moral of mrs mallow's question if their wealth was to be assumed it was clear from the nature of their admiration as well as from mysterious hints thrown out they were a little odd as to other possibilities of the same mortuary sort what their further patronage might be and not less evident that should the master become at all known in those climes nothing would be more inevitable than a run of canadian custom peter had been present before at runs of custom colonial and domestic present at each of those of which the aggregation had left so few gaps in the marble company round him but it was his habit never at these junctures to prick the bubble in advance the fond illusion while it lasted eased the wound of elections never won the long ache of medals and diplomas carried off on every chance by every one but the master it moreover lighted the lamp that would glimmer through the next eclipse they lived however after all as it was always beautiful to see at a height scarce susceptible of ups and downs they strained a point at times charmingly strained it to admit that the public was here and there not too bad to buy but they would have been nowhere without their attitude that the master was always too good to sell they were at all events deliciously formed peter often said to himself for their fate the master had a vanity his wife had a loyalty of which success depriving these things of innocence would have diminished the merit and the grace any one could be charming under a charm and as he looked about him at a world of prosperity more void of proportion even than the master's museum he wondered if he knew another pair that so completely escaped vulgarity what a pity lance isn't with us to rejoice mrs mallow on this occasion sighed at supper we'll drink to the health of the absent her husband replied filling his friend's glass and his own and giving a drop to their companion but we must hope he's preparing himself for a happiness much less like this of ours this evening excusable as i grant it to be than like the comfort we have always whatever has happened or has not happened been able to trust ourselves to enjoy the comfort the master explained leaning back in the pleasant lamplight and firelight holding up his glass and looking round at his marble family quartered more or less a monstrous brood in every room the comfort of art in itself peter looked a little shyly at his wine well i don't care what you may call it when a fellow doesn't but lance must learn to sell you know and i drink to his acquisition of the secret of a base popularity 
Oh, yes, he must sell. The boy's mother, who was still more, however, this seemed to give out the master's wife, rather artlessly allowed. Ah, the sculptor, after a moment, confidently pronounced, Lance will. Don't be afraid. He'll have learnt. Which is exactly what Peter, Mrs. Mallow gaily returned. Why, in the world were you so perverse, Peter? Wouldn't, when he told him, hear of. Peter, when this lady looked at him with accusatory affection, a grace on her part not infrequent, could never find a word, but the master, who was always all amenity and tact, helped him out now, as he had often helped him before. That's his old idea, you know, on which we've so often differed, his theory that the artist should be all impulse and instinct. I go in, of course, for a certain amount of school. Not too much, but a due proportion. There's where his protest came in, he continued to explain to his wife, as against what might, don't you see, be in question for Lance. Ah, well, and Mrs. Mallow turned the violet eyes across the table at the subject of this discourse. He's sure to have meant, of course, nothing but good, only that wouldn't have prevented him, if Lance had taken his advice, from being, in effect, horribly cruel. They had a sociable way of talking of him to his face as if he had been in the clay or, at most, in the plaster, and the master was unfailingly generous. He might have been waving a gidio to make him revolve. Ah, but poor Peter wasn't so wrong as to what it may, after all, come to. That he will learn. Oh, but nothing artistically bad, she urged. Still, for poor Peter, arch and dewy. Why, just the little French tricks, said the master, on which their friend had to pretend to admit, when pressed by Mrs. Mallow, that these aesthetic vices had been the objects of his dread. Part Three I know now, Lance said to him the next year, why you were so much against it. He had come back, supposedly for a mere interval, and was looking about him at Carrara Lodge, where indeed he had already on two or three occasions since his expatriation briefly reappeared. This had the air of a longer holiday. Something rather awful has happened to me. It isn't so very good to know. I'm bound to say high spirits don't show in your face, Peter was rather ruefully forced to confess. Still, are you very sure you do know? Well, I at least know about as much as I can bear. These remarks were exchanged in Peter's den, and the young man, smoking cigarettes, stood before the fire, with his back against the mantel. Something of his bloom seemed really to have left him. Poor Peter wondered. You're clear, then, as to what in particular I wanted you not to go for? In particular? Lance thought. It seems to me that in particular there can have been only one thing. They stood for a little, sounding each other. Are you quite sure? Quite sure. I'm a beastly duffer. Quite, by this time. Oh, and Peter turned away as if almost with relief. It's that that isn't pleasant to find out. Oh, I don't care for that, said Peter, presently coming round again. I mean, I personally don't. Yet I hope you can understand a little that I myself should. Well, what do you mean by it? Peter skeptically asked. And on this Lance had to explain how the upshot of his studies in Paris had inexorably proved a mere deep doubt of his means. These studies had so waked him up that a new light was in his eyes, but what the new light did was really to show him too much. Do you know what's the matter with me? 
i'm too horribly intelligent paris was really the last place for me i've learned what i can't do poor peter stared it was a staggerer but even after they had had on the subject a longish talk in which the boy brought out to the full the hard truth of his lesson his friend betrayed less pleasure than usually breaks into a face to the happy tune of i told you so poor peter himself made now indeed so little a point of having told him so that lance broke ground in a different place a day or two after what was it then that before i went you were afraid i should find out this however peter refused to tell him on the ground that if he hadn't yet guessed perhaps he never would and that in any case nothing at all for either of them was to be gained by giving the thing a name lance eyed him on this an instant with the bold curiosity of youth with the air indeed of having in his mind two or three names of which one or other would be right peter nevertheless turning his back again offered no encouragement and when they parted afresh it was with some show of impatience on the side of the boy accordingly on their next encounter peter saw at a glance that he had now in the interval divined and that to sound his note he was only waiting till they should find themselves alone this he had soon arranged and he then broke straight out do you know your conundrum has been keeping me awake but in the watches of the night the answer came over me so that upon my honour i quite laughed out had you been supposing i had to go to paris to learn that even now to see him still so sublimely on his guard peter's young friend had the laugh afresh you won't give a sign till you're sure beautiful old peter but lance at last produced it why hang it the truth about the master it made between them for some minutes a lively passage full of wonder for each at the wonder of the other then how long have you understood the true value of his work i understood it lance recalled as soon as i began to understand anything but i didn't begin fully to do that i admit till i got là-bas dear dear peter gasped with retrospective dread but for what have you taken me i'm a hopeless muff that i had to have rubbed in but i'm not such a muff as the master lance declared then why did you never tell me that i hadn't after all the boy looked up remained such an idiot just because i never dreamed you knew but i beg your pardon i only wanted to spare you and what i don't now understand is how the deuce then for so long you've managed to keep bottled peter produced his explanation but only after some delay and with a gravity not void of embarrassment it was for your mother oh said lance and that's the great thing now since the murder is out i want a promise from you i mean and peter almost feverishly followed it up a vow from you solemn and such as you owe me here on the spot that you'll sacrifice anything rather than let her ever guess that i've guessed lance took it in i see he evidently after a moment had taken in much but what is it you've in mind that i may have a chance to sacrifice oh one has always something lance looked at him hard do you mean that you've had the look he received back however so put the question by that he found soon enough another are you really sure my mother doesn't know peter after renewed reflection was really sure if she does she's too wonderful 
But aren't we all too wonderful? Yes, Peter granted, but in different ways. The thing's so desperately important, because your father's little public consists only, as you know then, Peter developed, well, of how many? First of all, the master's son risked, of himself, and last of all, too, I don't quite see of whom else. Peter had an approach to impatience. Of your mother, I say, always. Lance cast it all up. You absolutely feel that? Absolutely. Well, then, with yourself, that makes three. Oh, me, said Peter, with a wag of his kind old head, modestly excused himself. The number's, at any rate, small enough for any individual dropping out to be too dreadfully missed. Therefore, to put it in a nutshell, take care, my boy, that's all, that you're not. I've got to keep on humbugging, Lance wailed. It's just to warn you of the danger of your failing of that, that I've seized this opportunity. But what do you regard in particular, the young man asked, as the danger? Why, this certainty, that the moment your mother, who feels so strongly, should suspect your secret, well, said Peter desperately, the fat would be in the fire. Lance for a moment seemed to stare at the blaze. She'd throw me over? She'd throw him over? And come round to us? Peter, before he answered, turned away. Come round to you. But he had said enough to indicate, and as he evidently trusted to avert, the horrid contingency. Part 4 Within six months again, nonetheless, his fear was on more occasions than one all before him. Lance had returned to Paris for another trial, then had reappeared at home, and had had with his father for the first time in his life one of the scenes that strikes sparks. He described it with much expression to Peter, touching whom, since they had never done so before, it was the sign of a new reserve on the part of the pair at Carrara Lodge that they at present failed, on a moment of intimate interest, to open themselves, if not in joy, then in sorrow, to their good friend. This produced perhaps practically between the parties a shade of alienation and a slight intermission of commerce, marked mainly indeed by the fact that to talk at ease with his old playmate, Lance, had in general to come to see him. The closest, if not quite the gayest, relation they had yet known together was thus ushered in. The difficulty for poor Lance was a tension at home, begotten by the fact that his father wished him to be at least the sort of success he himself had been. He hadn't chucked Paris, though nothing appeared more vivid to him than that Paris had chucked him. He would go back again because of the fascination in trying, in seeing, in sounding the depths, in learning one's lesson, briefly, even if the lesson was simply that of one's impotence in the presence of one's larger vision. But what did the master, all aloft in his senseless fluency, know of impotence? And what vision, to be called such, had he in all his blind life ever had? Lance, heated and indignant, frankly appealed to his godparent on this score. His father, it appeared, had come down on him for having after so long nothing to show, in hoping that on his next return this deficiency would be repaired. The thing, the master complacently set forth, was, for any artist, however inferior to himself, at least to do something. What can you do? That's all I ask. He had certainly done enough, and there was no mistake about what he had to show. 
Lance had tears in his eyes when it came thus to letting his old friend know how great the strain might be on the sacrifice asked of him. It wasn't so easy to continue humbugging, as from son to parent, after feeling one's self-despised for not groveling in mediocrity. Yet a noble duplicity was what, as they intimately faced the situation, Peter went on requiring, and it was still for a time what his young friend, bitter and sore, managed loyally to comfort him with. Fifty pounds more than once again. It was true, rewarded both in London and in Paris the young friend's loyalty. None the less sensibly, doubtless at the moment, that the money was a direct advance on a decent sum for which Peter had long since privately prearranged an ultimate function. Whether by these arts or others, at all events, Lance's just resentment was kept for a season, but only for a season, at bay. The day arrived when he warned his companion that he could hold out or hold in no longer. Carrara Lodge had had to listen to another lecture, delivered from a great height, an infliction really heavier at last than without striking back, or in some way letting the master have the truth, flesh and blood could bear. And what I don't see is, Lance observed with a certain irritated eye for what was after all, if it came to that, owing to himself too, what I don't see is, upon my honor, how you, as things are going, can keep the game up. Oh, the game for me is only to hold my tongue, said placid Peter, and I have my reason. Still my mother? Peter showed a queer face, as he had often shown it before, that is, by turning it straight away. What will you have? I haven't ceased to like her. She's beautiful. She's a dear, of course, Lance allowed. But what is she to you, after all? And what is it to you that, as to anything, whatever, she should or she shouldn't? Peter, who had turned red, hung fire a little. Well, it's all simply what I make of it. There was now, however, in his young friend, a strange and adopted insistence. What are you, after all, to her? Oh, nothing. But that's another matter. She cares only for my father, said Lance the Parisian. Naturally. And that's just why. Why you've wished to spare her? Because she cares so tremendously much. Lance took a look about the room, but with his eyes still on his host. How awfully always you must have liked her. Awfully always, said Peter Brench. The young man continued for a moment to muse, then stopped again in front of him. Do you know how much she cares? Their eyes met on it, but Peter, as if his own found something new in Lance's, appeared to hesitate, for the first time in an age, to say he did not know. I've only just found out, said Lance. She came to my room last night, after being present in silence, and only with her eyes on me, and what I had had to take from him. She came, and she was with me an extraordinary hour. He had paused again, and they had again for a while sounded each other. Then something, and it made him suddenly turned pale, came to Peter. She does know? She does know. She let it all out to me, so as to demand of me no more than that, as she said, of which she herself had been capable. She has always, always known, said Lance, without pity. Peter was silent a long time during which his companion might have heard him gently breathe, and on touching him might have felt within him the vibration of a long, low sound suppressed. By the time he spoke at last, he had taken everything in. 
then I do see how tremendously much. Isn't it wonderful? Lance asked. Wonderful, Peter mused. So that if your original effort to keep me from Paris was to keep me from knowledge, Lance exclaimed, as if with a sufficient indication of this futility. It might have been at the futility Peter appeared for a little to gaze. I think it must have been, without my quite at the time knowing it, to keep me, he replied at last, as he turned away. End of Section 7 End of Stories of Successful Marriages Edited by Walter Besant